This is the Feminine Genius Podcast, a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. Nicole Caruso has always had a love for style, art, and media. The intersection of her background working in the fashion industry, along with her vocation of motherhood, challenged her perceptions of beauty and what it means to be worthy. And this led her to start Worthy of Wearing, a movement that reminds women of their God-given worth that goes beyond productivity and output. In this episode, Nicole and I talk about her experiences working in fashion, how God brought together her love for her faith and fashion, and how Worthy of Wearing came to be. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for being here. It's always such a joy to meet people that, you know, first off, like just meet new people, but also people who I happen to have their face on my desk. And and for those who are listening along, because obviously you can't see, I just held up a copy of Nicole's book, Worthy of Wearing. There is a beautiful photo of her on the cover. And that's what we're here to talk about is worthy of wearing the whole movement around that. But of course, also just diving into your own personal feminine genius and the ways in which you really are inspiring so many women out there to really dig deep and embrace their own. So As you probably might guess, it's a huge thing of mine. So I'm just so grateful for you and for your time today. Thank you. You know, the Holy Spirit definitely inspired the way of connecting the message of Worthy of Wearing to the Feminine Genius. I'm sure we'll get more deeply into that today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe for those who may not be familiar with you and your work, Nicole, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and share a little bit about what you're doing right now. Of course. So I am a mother of three. Um, I have three little kitties under the age of seven. I'm originally from Connecticut, right outside of New York City. And now I live right outside of DC. Professionally, I was a makeup artist, um, both freelance and uh, working for different beauty brands. I've worked as a beauty editor, and I've worked in the fashion industry in New York City. And style was always something I was attracted to as a child. My parents actually met while working in the garment industry in New York in the 80s. Amazing. So it was just always part of our family culture to, you know, dress for the occasion, to talk about it, to enjoy, you know, getting dressed and and getting dressed up as a family to go places and things like that. So I think the language of style was just part of my youth. But as I grew older, I knew uh, I've always been, in, you know, one that loves photography and film and design and art and writing. And so I was always attracted to work in the fashion industry because to me it was like this culmination of all the things that I loved. And I really did get the insider look at what it's like and, you know, for better, for worse. <laughs> and, you know, as a teenager, I actually had a reversion to my Catholic faith. So I was born and raised Catholic, um, but my parents would tell you if they were here on this podcast right now, they really didn't know their faith until I was in high school. Um, It was Mm -hmm. very much cultural. You know, I'm Italian American. So we knew some of the traditions, we knew the sacraments were important, but Mm -hmm. we really lacked an understanding of the beauty of the faith, the church, the saints even. 
So it's really as I began to understand Christ and who he is and his role in my life and really wanting to give my life back to him, that's where I started to understand, okay, style seems like it's over here on one side, faith and spirituality feels like it's over here. And I Mm -hmm. feel like I'm somewhere in the middle and I don't know if I fit in either one. So really worthy of wearing I think was like 20 years in the making of just living out my life and trying to understand my place and my mission that God had for me. Mm -hmm. And it's so beautiful that you mention the role of Christ in your life. And I find it to be almost like a God wink moment just because I was at mass this morning and the homily was exactly that, like how we need to understand Jesus, not just as Jesus, because of course, like he is Jesus, but also Jesus Christ, recognizing that he has power in our lives as liberator, as savior, how he's able to, and I think you allude to this, really bring together two worlds and they don't need to be mutually exclusive, but just the fact that they, like in a Venn diagram, you as Nicole are that center that brings together your love for fashion and all the other things that you were mentioning but also your faith. So maybe like from there, I'd love to dive in a little more. So you mentioned that you and your family were Italian-American, so maybe raised like culturally Catholic. And you mentioned that you had a reversion to the faith. So I was wondering if you could walk us through that journey and maybe what was that moment where you realized that there is something deeper with this faith that, yeah, maybe goes beyond my cultural experience and just goes beyond more than my family. Sure. So. I think it was right around when I started, we, I actually, my family moved when Mm -hmm. I was finishing eighth grade, finishing middle school and going to high school. So we moved to a new town. I was completely starting over with, from a friend group and everything. Mm -hmm. And of course the high school years are so tough. Middle school years are so tough. And I was brought up going to public school my whole life. So we moved to this new town and the high school, my class had 400 people in it. So the high school itself was massive. I was just like this little, you know, little old me walking around this huge campus with all these people and very secular. And uh, we joined up the parish in our new town and there was a a nun there. Her name was Sister Joan. Mm -hmm. And she, in, in the parish we lived in before moving, I had been confirmed in eighth grade, but I Mm -hmm. had no idea why I was confirmed. Like I'm very extroverted. So I love socializing. So I thought getting confirmed meant new dress and a party. (laughs) (laughs) I had no clue, you know, what it was really about, but praise God that I was still confirmed. The Holy spirit was still working. And through sister Joan, she said, you know, to my mom, she said, you know, Nicole could make some friends if she Mm -hmm. comes to this confirmation retreat. I know she's confirmed, but just have her come anyway. And I was so rebellious. I did not want to go at all. I thought my mom was crazy. I was like, I don't want to make friends at our church. Like, they're going to be so weird. Like, I just had this whole notion of what youth group kids I thought were like and things like Mm -hmm. that. And it ended up being what absolutely saved my life because I was really at a crossroads at that time where I'm the oldest in my family. So I didn't have an older sibling, an older cousin to be that guide in my life of, mm-hmm. of a life of faith. And so what was my guide? Magazines, television, ads, pop culture, the radio station. I mean, I was just grasping at looking for someone to guide me and just didn't have anyone other than my parents, you know? So I really felt like that was a very pivotal moment where I could have gone completely into the world and completely mm-hmm. kind of sold my soul, you know, for the sake of popularity 
or, you know, just being liked, all of these things that you desire as a teenager, having a strong peer group. Mm-hmm. And then I walked into our church hall, there was a life-size crucifix, like Jesus was a life-size man on the crucifix, mm-hmm. right on the wall, you know, 10 feet from the chairs we were sitting in. And they lowered the lights and this man came in and really shared his testimony of kind of living uh, a very sinful life, working as a musician in a rock mm-hmm. and roll band. He was like on tour with Billy Joel. It was amazing to hear his story of conversion. And then he kind of finished it by explaining how Christ died for us because Mm -hmm. of his love for us. And that was truly the first time I ever understood what it meant. And I wept all the way home in the car. Mm -hmm. I wept in my room for hours afterwards. My dad was so concerned. He was like, who do I have to go beat up? Like who hurt you? (laughs) You know, and I couldn't even talk. I couldn't even explain that my heart had been cracked open by Christ Mm -hmm. and his love. And so from that moment, I really started to have this interest in wanting to pursue a life of faith and really started to reject those temptations of the world. And that was really hard, moving to a new place, being the girl that went on a three-day retreat in silence instead of going to the homecoming dance and having to kind of like not tell my my friends why I couldn't go to the dance. You know, I was right. like, I'm going out of town, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But Christ was so gentle with me and he's been so faithful to me, always revealing himself, revealing that he's there, giving me the strength, the supernatural strength to deal with rejection, to deal with feeling alone, to still give me that inspiration to keep going, you know, to put one foot in front of the other and not give up because of that. And because of the ways he's really shown his love to me in big ways and in small ways. I've given my life to him and I just desire to be a saint and I'm not perfect and I screw up all the time. I have three little kids, so you can only imagine, Uh, (laughs) but it is the greatest joy of my life to be a Catholic. Hmm. That's so wonderful. And yeah, what a profound moments, right? Like to see first off, yeah, like a life-size crucifix. Many times they're usually like pretty far away, like hanging on the church. You don't really get to get up close But there is something arresting about seeing that. And then, like you said, hearing other testimonies, other people's intimate stories of how God has come into their life. And, you know, even you sharing this right now, like I feel like movement. I'm just kind of like, oh, no, we can't start crying now. Like it's still it's too early in the interview to start crying. But in any case, I just want to thank you again for being a witness to that. And I think it's always so important to hear time and time again that to choose to be Catholic, it's of course, it's not easy. And as you allude to, like, there are so many pressures out there. And it doesn't get easier as you get older. The fact that we have Christ on our side, and he gives us that strength is, it's what propels us forward. And I think that's so important. So at what point then did, so you have like your Catholic identity, you kind of make that very conscious decision to start living your life for Christ. At what point does fashion re-enter the picture as a viable career path? Or was that something that maybe you were like, oh, like, should I do that? Or should I go about something else? Well, you know, in high school, they had us go to a guidance counselor to decide what we want to do with our life. And I went to her and I was like, I want to go to fashion school. And she was like, no one goes to fashion school. Like she totally squashed my dreams (laughs) (laughs) because I, we lived in a part of Connecticut that was all about the Ivy leagues. It was Mm -hmm. all about the career. And I was wanting to basically pursue something that 
would look bad on the high school, <laughs> essentially. Oh. So, you know, she was not supportive and it just made me feel like, oh gosh, like I'm never going to make it. I'm not good enough, you know, mm-hmm. but thanks be to God, I ended up meeting my husband and we got married young. I was 20, almost 21 and he was turning 26. Uh, we're five years apart. And I, we ended up having to move for the military in the middle of my junior year of college. So I was wow. just finishing up. I was about to do senior year and get my degree and we ended up moving. And we moved to Texas, which was very far away from where I grew up, very different. It was West Texas. So it was just a total culture shock. And it was there that I actually started blogging. Mm. And my husband said to me, you know, when we're done with this military assignment, I really want you to be able to do your dream. Like I want you to have that chance. So we actually moved to Manhattan after that. And I got an internship basically from a friend of a friend of a friend who Mm. knew there was a need and, and said, Hey, why don't you interview for this? So my first internship was with an American designer right in the middle of a garment district in New York. And it was such an amazing experience. It was just incredible because she's an entrepreneur. So she started her brand from the ground up. And I just got to learn so many different parts of a business because even though it was a big name, it was a small environment. So I got Mm -hmm. to experience you know, taking the elevator to the design floor, taking the elevator to the showroom and being up and down and going to Bergdorf and going to trade shows and just going to all these places and getting to really see what it's like to run a label. That was really the beginning. And then from there, you know, I kept blogging. So I had this little tiny blog on Tumblr, which really is going to date me right now, (laughs) uh, (laughs) that I called the city girl in me. And it was just like about shoes and clothes and makeup and things like that. And it was just sort of this place where I could have an outlet. Then after that, I went and worked for a, a European fashion label where that was a little bit more like Devil Wears Prada. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a little tougher. It gave me a thicker skin, but it also really helped me kind of discern that that was not where God wanted me long term. So he kind of gave me this very condensed time working in fashion. Uh, and then after that, I ended up working at Verily Magazine as the beauty editor And that was just such a beautiful gift because I got to sort of take all of this worldliness of working in fashion and then sort of focus it in a way that was really encouraging women to feel beautiful and feel worthy right where they are, rather than Mm -hmm. what I really believe the fashion industry does, which is create this very narrow view of what femininity is, what a woman should Mm -hmm. look like using Photoshop, all these things, Barely was the first magazine to not Photoshop models, to use Mm. women who weren't super, super, super thin or have one sort of look. And it really celebrated the different faces of beauty. Mm -hmm. I love that. Like diversity is a word that I I use often. I'm incredibly fond of just because like as with fashion, there, there are so many diverse expressions of Catholic femininity. And I love what you said there about how God was able to give you that very like condensed timeline to really discern and see, first off, like for you to kind of actualize your dream in real time, but also for him to show you kind of like take you to that mountaintop and just be like, but wait, there's more. Was there ever a part of you that felt like as much as like you said, it's tough. I, you know, I've seen movies having never worked in fashion, all I can base it off of is movies like The Devil Wears Prada. But I can imagine just how 
yeah, like taxing and, you know, fast paced. There is so much that is demanded of you. But was there ever a part where you were like, no, like I really want to hold on to this and it would just be so much harder to kind of like go at it on your own or do something different, if that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I got to a a point in that that second job working for the European fashion label that it was what most people would consider a total dream and to give it up would be absolutely foolish. And if anything, they would blacklist you if you Mm -hmm. left. Because once you're in the fashion industry, you're in, you know, so if you get an internship at Dolce & Gabbana, you could get one at Vogue. Or if you got one at Vogue, you could get one at another big label Prada or whatever. And so I went to this second job and was worked so hard. Uh, I mean, like 70 hours a week was what I was averaging on my time card that it really made me question everything. I almost felt like I was working on Wall Street. I was like, am I supposed Mm. to feel this way working in fashion? You know, so I think that the thing is that the movies paint the fashion industry and living in New York in general as you're going out to all these restaurants, you know, you're having Mm -hmm. the sex in the city life, you're Mm -hmm. dressed up, you're, you know, you're having brunch for four hours on Saturday. The reality is you don't have two pennies to rub together to even buy yourself lunch. You're killing yourself to make a name for yourself, to have a big resume, to have good references. Mm -hmm. And you're also dealing with the backbiting, the expectations of your bosses, the verbal abuse, (laughs) things like that. And, And so there was just this one moment where my boss had us come in on a Sunday. I had not ever missed Sunday mass since that moment of reversion in high school. And she wanted us at work at 8.30 on Sunday. So I had to find Mm -hmm. a mass that was before that and still get to work on time. And so I took a taxi to this church that was supposed to have mass at 7 a.m. and the church was locked. Oh dear. And I was just like, oh, here we go. (laughs) So the whole work day on the Sunday, I'm thinking to myself, this is the whole, this is a holy day. Number one, it's the Sabbath day. I should mm-hmm. not be at work, but here I am being obedient to my boss, mm-hmm. who is a complete workaholic. She always worked late because she lived near the office. So for her, she could leave the office at eight o'clock at night and walk two blocks home. And that mm-hmm. was that. But that night, I just, the whole day at work, I kept praying. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to miss mass today. And I know this is New York City. And I know there's churches that have mass at like eight o'clock at night. So please help me find a church and please help me get out of this job before eight o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, that night she left at 6.30 p.m., which was Mm -hmm. very early for her. So I was like on the masstimes.org app. I found a church that had 7 p.m. mass got a taxi. This was like before Uber. And it was like a miracle that I got a taxi at rush hour. Mm-hmm. You know, God was good. And so it was then that I walked into the church. I opened the door and there was a line right there for confession. And I just felt this tug to go get in line. So I did. Mm-hmm. And the priest was so fatherly and so patient. And as I'm, I mean, I'm going through my sins, but then I'm just finding myself like my throat was cracking. I felt that tightness in my jaw. And I just broke down and I told Mm -hmm. him the whole story about how I almost missed mass. And, you know, just my job was so demanding and, you know, I didn't know what to do. And he just was so New York and such a spiritual father. And he just said, sounds like you need to get a new job. Like just like that. And I was like, oh, whoa, that was not what I was expecting. I was expecting like, we're Catholic. We're supposed to suffer. (laughs) you know. And it was just this clarity and permission that I needed 
to leave. Mm. Even though they might say, Nicole Caruso can never work in this company ever again, or don't hire her, she gives up, or mm. you know, she's not a hard enough worker, or whatever the thing that I was so scared about. He just gave me this grace. And so I told him I wasn't coming back. And it felt like a death. It really did. I think I grieved it for mm. a few weeks, just feeling like I finally got here and now I'm walking away. This mm. feels stupid. This feels like the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. But I had that steady peace inside of me saying, no, this is where you need to go. I need you to walk into that unknown because there's something better. There's mm. something bigger. And you don't know what it is, but I need you to trust me. And it just, it did. It felt like a trust fall backwards in the dark. Like, Lord, this is crazy. Why are you doing this? Why did, why that? And it was almost like you get angry. Like, then why was I even here in the first place? Why did I have right. to endure this difficult, you know, difficulty? Why did I have to get yelled at by my boss and berated by this person? And I know now, you know, all these years later, why he had me there. And he really wanted me to see it firsthand, um, not just from the movies, not just from, you know, a friend that had a job working there. Mm -hmm. He really wanted me to experience it myself. And it's given me an insight that I needed to be able to share with women now that we don't have to take every piece of advice from the fashion industry. We mm -hmm. can actually reclaim style. We can reclaim personal style and not feel like the fashion industry owns it or the magazine industry owns it or the influencers own it. God is the author of beauty and wow. he gives us our feminine genius. He gives us our gifts and our mission. And it's so much bigger than just one industry. Mm -hmm. Yes. And from there, a lot has happened and you know you've kind of been pointing at it from a variety of different angles but I think this is the opportune time to talk about worthy of wearing because the world has so much noise and, and we know that regardless of whether or not you're talking about fashion or anything but especially like being a woman in this world right now and we've talked about like media of all kinds and we've got like these crazy cell phones that you know you just get stuff like just at the click of a button or like at the tap of your screen but I'm curious to hear uh, where worthy of wearing came from you know not just to, to write the book but also to really start a movement around this well I think after that point of sort of leaving the fashion industry and sort of working with Verily, I became pregnant and mm. it was like the greatest joy of my life. And it felt like my life finally made sense because I, I was a married woman. I didn't have any children. We had trouble conceiving. And then I had this baby and oh. my daughter just came into our life and really showed me unconditional love. Like we think we know what unconditional love is from friends, family, parents, then you have your own child and they put that little baby on your chest and you're like, oh my gosh, this is what unconditional love is. It totally rocked my world. But there was this sort of dissonance that happened after becoming a mother where I had so badly wanted to be a mom, but then I also had this like life, right? You, I had lived mm -hmm. all this life before her where mm -hmm. I was in New York. I was getting dressed up every day and doing my makeup. And I felt like I had this purpose. You know, I think in today's culture, we take our self-worth from our output. Like, what mm. can I do that makes me valuable, that makes other people think I'm valuable? 
and therefore I can like sleep at night, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then becoming a mother, you're sort of in this more of a hidden place. And I was a stay at home mom. So I was living this sort of ordinary day to day dishwasher, laundry, you know, Mm -hmm. walk around the block, things like that. And that's where it felt like the world was crashing down again, because I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. I have this baby girl. She's perfect. I am a mother. This is what I always dreamed of. And yet I still don't feel like myself. What is going on? And it took until I had my second baby where he was in that same kind of like one year old mark where I was like, oh my gosh, I I feel this again. Mm -hmm. And what it really was, was just this disconnect between myself and how I view myself and then also this new role of motherhood. And so in my prayer, I'm like, Lord, I know you created me to be a mother. I know this was something you wanted for me. I know you gave me these children. And yet I still feel like there's something not peaceful in my heart. Mm -hmm. And it was really the habit of every morning getting up, making coffee, making breakfast, and like my day would begin and I wouldn't take time for prayer. And I wouldn't Mm -hmm. take any time to change out of my pajamas because I was like, oh, no big deal. Like I'm going to get dishwater on myself or the baby's going to spit up on me or whatever. And it it just created this habit of like, you know, then it would be 5 p.m. And my husband would come home from work and I'm still in the pajamas I was wearing the night before and feeling very strung out from not taking time for myself, not having time dedicated to Christ every day Mm -hmm. um, and just really getting run down. And so. I noticed the pattern. I started talking about it with some friends and I just said, you know, I have these beautiful clothes, but they're too nice to wear on a Tuesday. And Mm -hmm. these other ladies were like, yeah, like, why do we do that? You know, and it just became this conversation. Why do we do this? Why does the occasion create the self-worth? You know, why does Mm -hmm. that, why are we doing that? So we started to examine it and we're like, yeah, we have these clothes that we don't feel worthy of wearing. Like, it's just a Tuesday, you know, or I'm just working from home or, you know, I'm just picking up my kids. So I don't need to like put on my favorite flats. They're probably, I should just save those for, you know, Sunday mass or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so seeing that other women were dealing with it, I really started to identify it as sort of a block. It was like, there was something in our mindset that was saying, no, not you, not today, not that beautiful top. You're going to get it dirty. You're going to ruin it. And don't waste a beautiful outfit on an ordinary day, you know? Mm, And so I started to kind of block that out and say, you know what? I feel good when I put on a little bit of makeup. I feel armed when I have an outfit on that I like. I feel like myself again, even if I am just sitting at home with my kitties all day long. And seeing that shift in my confidence is literally what brought about this entire new part of my life where mm-hmm. I started to pursue my creative interests. I started to leave the house and go make friends and go introduce my daughter to new friends. I started to feel joyful and cheerful. And like my whole disposition just lightened up because I was number one, giving myself a little bit of care, which we need as women. You know, we're always caring for others. Mm-hmm. And we often forget ourselves in the process or feel guilty, you know? So it was kind of like putting these things in their right place. Can we, you know, take self-care and make it into an idol? Yes. But does that mean we should reject it altogether? No. Like we mm-hmm. actually physically need care. You know, we're soul mm-hmm. and body. So it was Worthy of Wearing became like a hashtag through Instagram to sort of remind ourselves that, you know what, it's okay to wear your favorite pair of earrings because you're worthy of wearing them. Why? Because Christ says we are. He Mm -hmm. made us worthy when he died for us. 
on the cross. Otherwise, why would he have endured all of that, his passion and death, you know? So when I feel lighter, when I feel more cheerful, I can give love from a place of freedom rather than, than kind of like grasping on wanting to, oh, I just wish I had time or, oh, I, you know, wish this person didn't need me or I wish that kid would just give me five minutes, you know? The resentment started to go away and the freedom returned. And I was like, okay, this is, this, there's something to this. So with my background in fashion, with my love of our faith, I just wanted there to be a resource for women where they could find the balance in the two. And mm -hmm. so that's really what my book Worthy of Wearing is all about. It's not just a style guide. It's not just a book of spirituality. I am not a theologian. <laughs> it's just a mix of my lived experience and just wanting women to know that it's okay to feel beautiful. It's okay to take time for your self-presentation to embrace your dignity, to embrace who God made you to be, because he needs us to have confidence in him to go out, right? And to, and to evangelize and to share his love. And I think for women, we have a very intimate relationship with beauty, knowing that beauty comes from God, being able to recognize that really makes us into this mirror of beauty back to others. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah. And all of the light bulbs were going off in my head, just as you're talking about just how seamlessly and easily that term worthy of wearing came out just as you were having that conversation with friends. And it just makes me think about, yeah, my own closet behind me and just how it really is like a museum sometimes where it's like, oh, it's nice to look at. But like you said, I'm not going to wear it when I'm just working from home, um, which has kind of been our life like the past, you know, almost two years now. But it's kind of like, if not now, then when, right? And, and sometimes like, you know, just days, months, years will go by. And sometimes I'll kind of flip through. I'm like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen you for a really long time. It's just because like, I've never felt to the occasion or the time to wear such a piece. And what I found like really inspiring about this whole thing. And then of course, like hearing you just say it again, is the fact that our worth is God given, and it has been bestowed on us from the beginning. And just to have, like you said, like that confidence to recognize that because he died for us, because he loved us first, you know, we are already worthy, irregardless of what we do or what our jobs are, um, how much money we make. Uh, he has made us worthy. Absolutely. And he, you know, I think there's some people can say, well, is that vanity then? You know, mm. is it vain to think, oh, I'm so worthy. I'm so beautiful. I, you know, I, I and, mm -hmm. and, and of course we can, you know, take something and, and make it into a sin when we're worried about how others perceive us, when we want to be liked or we're using it to get a personal gain or it's inflating our pride. But I think when we have a, a healthy humility, we can put something like a beautiful top in its right place and say, mm -hmm. you know what, I'm going to put this on because it helps me recognize that Christ loves me and adores me and has a plan for me. It mm -hmm. makes, you know, wearing a beautiful top can give us a little bit of a, of a boost. And through that, we can actually think of ourselves less throughout the day. So I find that when you, when you feel insecure, when you hate your outfit, when you didn't take time to care for your hair, skin, nails, grooming, whatever, we're very focused inward. Mm, and yes. you end up actually spending more time thinking, oh, I just wish I had a different top on, or I wish I had you know, taking this chip nail polish off or, you know, I wish, I wish, I wish. And you can't be present to the people you're with because mm. you're insecure. And I think when we can have a healthy confidence of like, 
This is who God made me to be. This is the body he gave me. I'm going to take good care of it because it belongs to him, because Mm -hmm. he is my father in heaven and I'm his daughter. It really, it shifts it. Um, And I think it gives us that permission um, spiritually to know that it's not, it's not a sin to feel beautiful. (laughs) Mm. You know, like I think sometimes in spiritual circles, it's like, you know, you can't even take a compliment because you might just be so vain and ostentatious. You know, Mm. it's like, no, actually someone can say, Hey, Rachel, you look gorgeous. And you can say, thank you in all humility. Thank you. Wow. You know, and, Mm -hmm. and let that touch your heart as if it's coming from God, the father, because he's telling you that through that person. Wow. Yeah. And (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. Oh my goodness. But you're right. Just because I think women, especially, I know that I struggle with this a lot. Yeah. How do we take compliments? How do we find that time to, to really spend it for ourselves and, and not worry about what other people might think? And I just love that mindset shift. And there was that movement on Instagram with the hashtag. And of course, there is the tangible book. You know, I, I'm like clutching onto it right now. But I would love to hear from you what the response has been like. I see the hashtag a lot. So I know that it's moving far and wide. And this far-reaching movement. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear from you what what you've seen the response be like, but also perhaps like what has been, um, you know, some key takeaways or what has surprised you the most? I think, you know, it. God's plans always surprise me because I wrote this book in the middle of the pandemic after having a baby <laughs> in a, in a 700 square foot apartment with three children and my husband working from home. So to me, it made no sense at the time. You know, I'm like, Lord, why, why now? And then now after this book is here and we're kind of living in this space of having lived through last year and saying, okay, we were all in sweatpants and now we're all craving more. Like I've heard it in conversations with friends, with friends of friends where we're like, you know, I'm kind of over the sweatpants. I'm kind of over the fluffy slippers. Like I want to feel put together. So I I think it's amazing that God, you know, had this book come out this May while we're all sort of like ready to leave the house again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The response has been so humbling because this message, number one, I think a lot of women can relate to feeling unworthy, feeling the negative voices really affect them and affect their confidence and make them stay small and live small um, and not go outside of their comfort zone. And I think what I've heard is that sometimes the simplest thing of putting on your favorite dress can literally lead to meeting a new friend, meeting your future spouse, working Mm -hmm. at a job you've always wanted to work at because you actually feel confident enough to go sit in the interview chair. Things like that where people are able to kind of come outside of their shell a little bit more, having both confidence in Christ and in themselves that they could actually do something beautiful. And that is just incredible because it's not just about the clothes. It's not about the makeup. It's about the person and Mm. the charisms and gifts that God has given us. And we we know the parable of the talents and yet we don't think it applies to us. You know, we're like, Oh, Mm -hmm. that's for her over there. (laughs) Not for me. I'm definitely using all my talents. And it's like, well, are you, you know, are you Mm. allowing God to kind of prune 
what feels hard. You know, it's hard to wake up with three kids and get dressed because sometimes they yell and fight and throw cereal on the floor while you're doing it. But it doesn't mean it's not a good thing. So just seeing women be able to kind of take back these habits, these good habits to remind themselves of their dignity, it ripples to their friends, their family, their mother-in-law, their neighbor, their children. And it's going to be what teaches dignity and theology of the body to little people so that as they grow and the future generations come, their worth in Christ won't be a question. It won't Mm. be like, oh, do I need to get an A on this test? to be a good child or to be loved by my parents, you know, it's like, no, you already are loved. You already are cared for, you know, what you wear truly doesn't matter, but can you use something material as a way to see Christ's beauty in your life? Of course. Mm-hmm. So I think worthy of wearing is, you know, it can be applied to anything. I've actually had someone say, I started using my grandmother's China, you know, on Sundays because I was saving it. And life is short, you know, memento mori, like remember your death, right? Like Mm -hmm. life is short and we don't know the day or the hour. So why not allow ourselves to live a little bit of joy on Mm. a daily basis? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. As we're winding down here, I love that you talked about that ripple effect because I think that was one of the first things that I had just once I saw your face come on the screen, I was instantly thinking about your daughter who does make a pretty prominent appearance in the book and and I love it the the intergenerational photos so beautiful and you know like you said taking something material and really using that to bring about God's glory sharing more of who he is the truth of who he is and who we are through that and like you said being able to have it so that it ripples out that our daughters granddaughters, other women around us may never again have to question. So maybe if we fast forward like 10, 15 years, your daughter is listening to this, what would you like to say to her, but also other young women who, yeah, may find it very challenging. They're struggling against all of the the craziness of the world telling them that they aren't. What is it that you would like to say to them? You know, I had a priest one time say this to me in confession, and it has stuck with me ever since. Um, I shared all of the sins, all of the things that I, you know, ba- basically hated about myself in confession. I'm like, I did this and I did that. And this priest just looked at me, you know, mm-hmm. in persona Christi. And he said, God has great plans for your life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's what you're going to say to me after I told you all these things, you know? And that's what I want other women to know. Like, whether you are, you know, a news anchor on EWTN, whether you mm-hmm. are a mom cleaning up spilled, you know, water all day long in your house, whether you are a student or a missionary or anything, God has a great plan for your life. But sometimes we have to take the clench and release our hands, you know, mm-hmm. like when I walked away from my fashion job and thought, oh my gosh, I'm a nobody. I'll never work in fashion again. God has a plan and we just have to exercise our trust. It doesn't mean we can give up. It doesn't mean we should just stay home and live in a little bubble. He may call us outside of our comfort zone, Mm -hmm. but he will always provide. And I think if we can give him that trust that we would give like a little child, they trust their parents to bathe them and clean them and give them food and provide their shelter. If we can have that same trust in the Lord, the, the fruits and the gifts that can come from that 
it brings healing. It brings love and it shows people that he's real and he is. And so, you know, if my daughter listens to this when she's a teenager, I just want her to know that no matter, no matter what mistake, no matter what wound you have or what you're going through, he still would die for you right now today and Mm. wants and desires great things for your life. Mm. Thank you. Yes. Such powerful words. And I think important words, like you said, you know, constant reminders, and we need to hear them again and again. So thank you so much. And uh, I think, as I asked this question, uh, I wanted to just share a quick tidbit about this book. Very early on, you well, you take a passage from John Paul II's letter to women, and you say like, yeah, a thank you to women from John Paul II. And obviously, this is how I started my podcast, and I'm a huge fan. So when you think about your own feminine genius, Nicole, how have you seen that flourish throughout your life and the work that you do? And of course, like this whole movement that you've come to start through him and with him. I think as I reflect on that, I think Christ has always called me to be a safe place for others, whether they could confide in me, whether they could come to my house and have a cup of coffee and just know that I'm going to be present with them, being able to kind of receive others right where they're at, not with judgment, not with, oh, well, you should be doing this or you should be doing that just with you're here. And I'm glad you're here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether that was, you know, doing makeup on someone I just met who just walked in the store that I was working in or babysitting or, you know, all the different things that I've done in my life. It's just, I think when we can be present to others and just see them as a beloved daughter or son of God, I think that is so truly powerful. And to this day, I have a friend who we could not believe more opposite things about existence and, you know, the world. But she still tells me, I never felt judged. I never Mm -hmm. feel like I can't come to you with something because even though we might be on polar opposites, the love that we can share is more powerful than that. So I think it's just that it's that maternal love that we're all called to, regardless of our vocation. And it's just such a beautiful, it's a beautiful gift that we have in our femininity. So well said. Yeah. And Nicole, I I just want to thank you, like on behalf of myself, of course, but all those listening for just all the incredible work that you're doing and the work that you will do through our Lord. I just remember once I received the book and flipping through it, like obviously it's gorgeous, But beyond that, there was just so much in there that I think uh, reflected a lot back to me. And this conversation, like I said, really was ministering to my own heart and I'm sure to many listeners. So thank you for what you do and thank you for your time today. And Nicole, would you be able to lead us in a closing prayer as we end this episode? Of course. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, thank you for the gift that you have given us in dying for us. Thank you for the love that you share. Thank you for your patience with us as we try to know your will and to know what you desire for us. I want to pray for everyone listening to this episode that they may feel your deep love, your acceptance, and your tender gaze. Let these women know their worth and their dignity and that they may just sit in your gaze and feel the fatherly love that you have and know that they will be given everything they could ever need from you. I also ask the intercession of our Blessed Mother, 
who is the model of our femininity, the queen of heaven. Mother, you are everything. You are the model of all of our virtues. I pray that you can be with us and teach us how to be daughters of your son. Teach us how to love him. And may we all be reunited in heaven one day. Amen. 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 The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Nicole. Well, thank you so much for having me, Rachel. Thank you to Nicole Caruso for joining me on the Feminine Genius Podcast. You can check out more of Nicole's work, including purchasing your own copy of Worthy of Wearing on her website, NicoleMCaruso.com. You can also follow Nicole on Instagram at NMCaruso. I've left links to these in the episode description for you to check out. You can learn more about the Feminine Genius Podcast by following us on Facebook and Instagram at FemGeniusPod. And you can listen and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other platforms. All of this information can be found on our home on the web, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. We'll talk to you soon, and God bless you always.